I mean, even in the software world, you still got to deliver something at the end of, yeah. a, of the development phase, for example. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you've got to yeah. deliver something before you launch, right? That's right. So, That's so right. specifying what the deliverables are is not a bad thing. It gives people guidance and objectives. And, yeah. and the other yeah. thing is we're not telling you to throw your stage gate process. A lot of people like the strategic aspects of that, as you say. Yeah. I remember when Lego put in the toy company and put in Agile stage gate, the management said, do not get rid of of stage gate. We like the strategic orientation. We like the gates. We like the fact that at every gate, certain things should be done. You got to have a business case before you move into the next phase kind of thing. But what they were able to do is, is take their traditional project management methodologies that you would learn at project management school, like Gantt charts and timelines and milestones and all those traditional techniques for planning a project and throw them out and put in agile methods of project management. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week. I am really excited today for the guest that's going to join us. He hardly needs any introduction, but I do want to give an introduction because it's it's so fun to give an introduction. So my guest today is Dr. Robert Cooper, who is one of the most influential innovation thought leaders in the business world today. He's done, he spent 40 years studying practices and pitfalls of thousands of, of new product projects and thousands of companies. He's a prolific author, published hundreds of academic articles, 13 or maybe more than 13 books now. Bestseller was uh, winning at new products. So that's one of his first ones. And he's been a recipient of numerous awards. He's also, a lot of people don't know, but he's also professor emeritus of marketing and technology management at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster's University and a distinguished fellow at Penn State Institute. Um, so please, I'm glad you could join us, Bob. Well, it's great to be here, Paul. Thank you yeah, for inviting yeah. me. And how are you today? Fantastic. I'm sitting good. here on the on the beach, just off the beach in Sarasota, Florida. So it's a good time to be here. Yeah. Still warm there, I hope. <laughs> it's a, it's a 75 degrees uh, Fahrenheit uh, outside and a beautiful sunny day. So I wish you were here, Paul. You just, yeah, you just made a lot of people jealous. <laughs> so good, good. Well, as I said in the intro, you 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 first introduced the world to Stagegate. Well, I think your first book was published in 1986, but let's not worry about the exact year. It is amazing to me that here we are all these years later, and it is still the number one methodology for product success. Give us your thoughts of how that methodology is held up over the years when you look back at it. Well, it's it's interesting. The idea for writing up the model in 1986, well, it was actually published as in a publication in 1983-84, slightly oh, okay. before the book came out. But ironically and coincidentally, that also occurred in Florida. I was on a sabbatical at the University of Central Florida. I had some time to think. I just finished off a research study looking at a lot of companies and case studies of project teams, very successful project teams and companies like GE and United Technologies, that's Pratt & Whitney Aircraft Engines and, 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 and DuPont and others. And, and it was a bit like watching a lot of football games and seeing winning teams. 
unless you're completely oblivious to what's going on, <laughs> you're bound to start seeing patterns. Hey, here's what winners do. And so you okay. map it out and you develop a game plan or a playbook. And that's exactly what StageGate was. It was a, an attempt to capture on paper what these winning teams did. And, and, and some of the principles they followed, like their dedication to voice a customer, the fact they did it in stages rather than all at once, etc. Those principles have stood the test of time. Now, when I go back and look at the original writings that I did on it, they're laughable because <laughs> StageGate has evolved considerably. Yeah. And, and the newest yeah. version has actually been written up recently in an in a engineering magazine. It's called Fifth Generation. So it's changed a lot, but the basic principles are still hang in there. Yeah. When you look back, though, now, what's the one thing that you're most proud of if there was one thing? I, I think the fact that here was a very simple piece of research that was done that almost went viral. I mean, it's, it's a very simple concept, StageGate. Every, every stage is you go out, you do some, some work, you, like you, you, you gather information, you do a market study, you do a laboratory test, you, you do a field trial, you gather information, you analyze the information, you make some predictions, and then a group of managers sits down and makes a decision. Shall we continue? Amazing. I mean, how yeah. much simpler could life be than that? As, as one guy at GE told me, and he, this guy was in charge of their ventures business, where GE took technologies and spun off companies. Uh, his name was Dr. David Ben Daniel. He told me, he says, Bob, the entire new product process is nothing more than an information model. It's a series of tasks and activities designed to gather information to reduce uncertainty and thereby manage risk. And that's what it's all about. You know, and I remember driving back to uh, McGill University and he was in Schenectady and I was in, in Montreal, which is just north of there. And I remember driving up that, I think it was I-95 or something like this. So enthralled in what he said that I guess I let the speedometer run a little high and the cops <laughs> picked me up at over a hundred miles an hour <laughs> and I did get a ticket. <laughs> I did get a ticket, but boy, oh boy, StageGate was sort of born on that highway. <laughs> I hope, I hope anyway, you framed that ticket. Thought. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I, I can't remember, but hopefully it was the last in New York State. <laughs> yeah, what a great story, Bob. Well, if you think about it, and as you said, multi-generations of, of the approach and continually evolving, what questions are people asking you today about StageGate? Well, I guess the most common one is how do we get it a little leaner? Because mm -hmm. I, I hate to say this, but over time, there's a tendency for companies to build in more and more and more stuff. Yeah. More templates to be filled out, more forms, more this, more that, to the point where some of the deliverables at the gates are just getting onerous. I mean, I've heard some project teams say it takes longer to prepare for a gate meeting than to do, do the actual work in the lab or the engineering department, mm. for example. Uh, yeah, so exactly. I, I'm, I'm trying to help companies lean it down. And some companies have done a really good job of, of, of using some of the techniques that we've got used to on the factory floor, the Lean Six Sigma methodologies, to do this to their new product process. So that's one big issue. And another group of people are asking about Agile. How do yeah. we take the methodology our software people use and apply that to physical products. And, and can it be done? And of course, the answer is yes, but you got mm -hmm. to tweak the model a little bit. You have to tweak StageGate and you have to tweak Agile. And then you can combine them into a nice Agile StageGate hybrid model that hopefully delivers the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. and, and then, Paul, I guess the last question that I get a lot of is, is we have too many projects in our pipeline. 
And, and, and how do we integrate portfolio management to tell us which projects to do and obviously how many, the right balance between resources available and numbers of projects? How do we integrate yeah. that with, with Stagey? How do we do gates better? How do we do, do portfolio reviews better? How do we integrate the whole thing? And, yeah. and that's a, a legitimate question because everybody, I think, and you, you, from your experience, I think you'll concur, everybody seems to have too many projects underway. Absolutely. Well, we just had our company had its user forms. We do one in Europe and one in North America where all of our customers come together and they share experiences and what works and what doesn't work. And it's really interesting to me, the number one area of interest is portfolio management. So I don't know if it's they become more mature or more comfortable enough, or they've they've been seen, well, got to keep reacting to all the world things that are hitting us, all the influences that are hitting us, but, but much more interest in portfolio management now. Like you said, which of those thousands of projects and how do we, yeah. how do we allocate our resources correctly? Absolutely. And I, I think that if you, if, if you look at some of the studies that have been done, the resource issue, in other words, we don't have enough resources to do all the projects and we're right. therefore spreading our people very thinly and that's not a good strategy. I mean, multitasking may sound great in theory, but when you have one person working on eight projects concurrently, that's nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly inefficient. You may think it's it's okay. And of course, it does let people off the hook, Paul, because by doing all eight projects, you don't have to make a decision as to which one <laughs> or two we really are going to focus on. Yeah, great <laughs> and, and that's that's the default option. Hey, let's do them yeah. all. Let's do them all, right. and we don't have to make yeah. decisions. Uh, sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah, just like in the stock market, in running a portfolio, you got to make tough decisions about buying and selling. You got to make tough decisions in product development about going forward and investing or backing out and saying no, we're going to get out of this one. And those are tough, yeah. tough decisions. Nobody likes them, but they've got to be done because if you don't, suddenly you find people really resource tight, resources spread too thinly, and a bunch of evil things start to happen. One of them is is obviously stress on the project teams. They get stressed, the yeah. morale goes to, goes to heck. The second big problem is they start cutting corners. So instead yeah, of okay. doing a market study that involves visiting 12 customers, they visit one and phone another, and that's their market study. And, and, right. and the other thing is everything's late to market. And, and suddenly the big bosses are complaining all our projects are late. And in, yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the Sophion model, the accolade model, you guys have a red light, green light kind of thing that shows when projects are late. And everything's yep. red light. Yep. Everything's late. Yeah. And that's right. scary. Right. That's really it bad. Is. Something's wrong with yeah. your system. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the leaner process. I've, I've been working with your methodology for 20 years, and I've seen the same thing. Incredible amounts of, well, let's collect this piece of information because we can. Let's have a 30-page product definition document. It's, it's incredible. I've seen that too. And, and a lot of launches of, of a gated decision process, then a relaunch, thin it out, relaunch again. So yeah, that's just, people ask me what my number one advice would be for implementing uh, StageGate. And I'd say, just like you, keep it lean, keep it lean. Yeah, keep yeah. it lean. I've seen some companies, Paul, who've put really, really tough disciplines in place, like the business case should be no longer than four pages. Ah, which of mm -hmm. uh, say a word document that's it if yeah. you can't say why we should do this and what it's all about and where we're going in four pages then you don't have a project i'm sorry that's yeah if you got to think more than that it's a lousy project because <laughs> you're Great trying to cover, idea. cover stuff and and i've seen yeah. people come in with really taking 40 page documents down to one or two pages 
Because first of all, nobody reads it anyway. Okay. I mean, executives, <laughs> right. the gatekeepers aren't going to read a 40 page document. No. They're going to read two no. pages, an exact summary. Yeah. So you, you may as well try to trim it right down. And I've seen co- some companies do an absolutely fantastic job on this. And the results are, are, are quite remarkable. Application of lean methodologies is not the sexiest topic, okay? It's it's not yes. as exciting as agile. It's not as exciting as using artificial intelligence, which is very topical these days. But it sure does get results. And it's basically, and I've seen it, I've taken part in these lean, lean exercises where you literally get a team of people who have been through the process a number of times, sort of experienced project leaders or project team members in a room maybe five, six, seven of them, and they map out the entire new product process down a wall. And maybe yeah. it's it's 10 meters long or 30 feet long, big, long roll of paper with big, big post-it notes and marking pens. And they literally map out what happens in a typical major project, for example. And that takes about an hour. I saw, mm-hmm. I was in Copenhagen once and saw, and it was a, a, a multinational company and they had teams in from all over the world because they did R&D in different parts of the world. And they had teams in from all over the world. And, and, and the room was quite a large room. It was a ballroom at a hotel. And, and we had a lot of wall space. So there was five or six teams doing this in different parts of the room. And the general manager, the managing director of the company, the big boss, was sitting with me having a coffee, watching these guys work diligently. And, and he walked around the room already and seen what they were doing. And he said, well, Bob, I've learned one thing. I said, what's that? His name was Helmut. What's that, Helmut? He says, people around the world screw up the same way. <laughs> and <laughs> they were doing – it didn't matter whether they were in France or in the U.S. They made the same mistakes, and they were <laughs> noting it with big circles, big red circles on their yeah, flow charts. So – and I've seen this happen, and that company, for example, managed to cut an amazing amount of time out of their new product process. It, there's another – speaking of Denmark, there's another company called Danfoss. I can say this publicly because they did allow me to write it up which is in the controls business. Some of you may have heard of Dan Foss. They're in controls, motor controls, heating controls, things like that. Fairly large company. And they did this exercise. The, the guy that inspired it is now vice president of engineering. His name is Bobe Jorgensen. And, and he did this exercise and was able to, and he's got hard statistics on this, able to cut time from one of the early gates through the launch by 50%. He took it from about yeah. three and a half years for a major project down to about one and a half years. Incredible. And he's one of the few guys I've seen actually put metrics in place and measure the result. It, it's an incredible result that you can do. Probably a bigger improvement from that than you get from implementing Agile, I hate to say. But, uh, so that's yeah. something, Paul, you, you really got to look at. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Well, we mentioned Agile and, and then kind of parallel to that, if you think about product development of purely agile or hybrid physical digital, mm-hmm. purely digital or physical digital products. It's still relatively new for many companies if you're mm-hmm. an old historical company with a physical product. So what issues do you see people struggling with as they try to sure. include digital or hybrid products in their portfolios? It's, it has been a bit of a struggle and a group out of Germany, there's an institute whose name I forget, and I apologize to them, who have done several large sample studies of, uh, in the German-speaking world of, of engineering-type companies, and that would include mechanical engineering, electrical engineering-type products with, with digital components, obviously. And, and uh, the n- number one issue that comes up, they coined a phrase for it. It's called paradigm perplexity. 
And, mm-hmm. and, and I had to read. And what it meant is there's a lot of confusion between what elements of our traditional methodologies should we use? Because let's face it, people that have been developing mechanical engineering type products for many years have a lot of good practices. Yeah. And the other, and, and then the other thing is what elements of agile should we use? Because they, they can be merged, but developing a physical product is a heck of a lot different than writing, than yeah. writing software code. I mean, for example, they say, well, you should do a demo at the end of every sprint. Well, a demo, and that's a demo to the stakeholders. Well, that means customers. Well, are you going to demo this component yeah. of a turbine at the yeah. end of every yeah. two weeks? I mean, how are you going to yeah. get it to the customer? With software, you can do yeah. it with software, you can do it online. Yeah. Things yeah. like that have to be tweaked and adjusted, and that takes a bit of work. I'm working yeah, with a company yeah. in Chicago now that's doing this, and, and it takes a bit of struggle to say, okay, how are we going to merge the best of both in a way that's practical, that, that's pragmatic? Yeah. Now, we can do these rapid iterations. We can have uh, co-located teams, I think. We can have teams that are 100% dedicated to the project or, well, let's say 75% dedicated. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's always a little wiggle here. So that's one of the hardest parts, figuring out what it is our new model is going to look like. Some companies yeah. take the time. And they do a good job. Honeywell's an example. They've done an excellent job of putting together a model that works for them, you know, that combines yeah. the software and the hardware and does it sensibly. Yeah. yeah. So that's the biggest oh, challenge, ma- I think. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I, I, I recall an experience I had with a company that makes a medical device and <clears throat> that device was going to go into a hospital and obviously mm-hmm. had a digital component to it. Mm-hmm. When they were Early on, creating their MVP on the digital side, the software side, wasn't going to quite be ready yet. The hardware was well along, and the, the the software guy said, "Well, let's just get it in the hospital, and we'll we'll update it over the air later on." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> As a few guys, people die, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Guys who understand regulatory issues and risk and that's all that said, "No," nah. yeah, yeah. and the two no, really no, had to learn to talk to each other, right? That's right. So, yeah, yeah. and that that that's that's very interesting example, Paul. Fantastic example, because sometimes it has been the software guys that are saying, why don't you guys in the hardware side yeah. use Agile? And then they they, they fight back and yeah. forth and back and yeah. forth. By the way, a bad strategy is to do them as two separate projects, okay. one being done by Agile, the other being done by traditional project management methods like timelines and Gantt charts and all that kind of stuff. It, it, that's That's been shown. It's not a good idea. to do. They got to be together. They got to be yeah. merged or synced very well. But it is a fight to get these guys on the same page. But yeah. as I say, companies like Honeywell or Dan Foss and uh, GE yeah. have done it. So it, it is doable. And, 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 and the I results like, are very positive. And the results yeah. are positive, I should say. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And what I like is if you think about StageGate as the governance model, right? Yeah. That fits. That fits. We're stage not, We're not telling you how to do the projects. We're telling you, are you executing correctly? And is it aligned with your strategy? And should you continue? And all those things, I think, fit, whether you're physical, yeah. digital, or something else. Yeah. I mean, even in the software world, you still got to deliver something at the end of, yeah. a, of the development phase, for example. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you've got to yeah. deliver something before you launch, right? That's right. So, That's so right. specifying what the deliverables are is not a bad thing. It gives people guidance and objectives. And, and the other yeah. thing is we're not telling you to throw your stage gate process. A lot of people like the strategic aspects of that, as you say. Yeah. I remember when Lego put in the toy company and put in agile stage gate, the management said, do not get rid of, of stage gate. We like the strategic orientation. We like the gates. We like the fact that at every gate, certain things should be done. 
you got to have a business case before you move into the next phase kind of thing. But what they were able to do is, is take their traditional project management methodologies that you would learn at project management school, like Gantt charts and timelines and milestones and all those traditional techniques for planning a project and throw them out and put in agile methods of project management. So right. it's not throwing out the stages and the gates. It's just putting in a new kind of project management methodology. Yeah. Think yeah, of it that yeah. way. I agree. That's a great way to think about it. It seems like we're just getting agile uh, figured out, but things are moving very rapidly in product development. So where do you see product development changing now? Well, I think it's interesting that you raise this. A friend of mine took a photograph of, of the PDMA conference, Product Development and Management Association conference in New Orleans in September. And it had a picture of the nine major milestones in product development. And mm. they were all on big, big posters. And, and you'll be happy to hear, or I was happy. He said, you'll get a kick out of this. And this guy happened to be the editor of, of one of the big journals. There was all the things that have happened with Agile being about number eight or somewhere okay. on there. Stage yeah. gate was about third down the list. You know, the first okay. one was, I think, some somebody's strategy, Ansoff strategy, then the, Ansoff. the adoption curve. And then, then I think it was stage gate. I, for the heck of it, Photoshopped it a bit and added one more milestone, number 10. And I sent it back to him and said, what do you think of this? And milestone number one, 10 was the introduction of artificial intelligence yeah. into new product yeah. development big time. Yeah. It's, it's started to happen. There's a lot more hype than reality, to be frank. I know your accolade model has elements of, of, of artificial intelligence in it, but I think you'd be the first to admit the whole system isn't artificial intelligence. Right. Yet. There was a McKinsey study just done this year that showed that 13% of companies have adopted AI for new product development. And, and I was a little bit shocked, but not quite as shocked as I was about a month earlier when I attended a, I was a speaker at a conference that Penn State University put on at the Institute for the Study of Business Markets in, in Chicago. And they had a number uh, – we did a survey of, of, of companies that showed up, and a number of software experts were making presentations. Very often, they were AI vendors like IBM and others. Mm -hmm. And the shocking thing from this survey was that almost nobody in the audience had a plan or was yeah. doing anything in the way of AI other than using AI to write advertising copy. Yeah, okay. They were using AI to write advertising copy for their brochure or for their online or for their website. But not anything past that. And, and that was, that came as a real shock. In fact, one guy came up to me from a big company whose name I won't mention and said, I was embarrassed to answer the questionnaire because we haven't done anything. And, yeah, and, and yeah. like, cause it went through the questions were, have you done it for idea generation? Have you used it for this? So the bottom line is don't feel bad if you haven't done anything, but just get into gear now. Because yeah. the experts are saying, and there are some really good experts on this, are saying that the inflection point where, you know, the adoption curve of a new technology, the inflection point was hit about the spring of last year, 2022. Wow. 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 And as you've seen, there's been all kinds of new introductions of new software like ChatGBT and DALI for drawing automobiles and, and cars. Mattel's using DALI to create new hot cars, for example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and this generative AI has enormous strengths. I've used it a few times to generate new product ideas in, in categories mm. that, that it was very hard to come up with new ideas. It does a much better job than we could. 
I'll tell you, it yeah. comes up with novel ideas. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure you've it, done that too, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. You think about the, the I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I don't think you and I would be having this conversation. No. And now look at it. It's almost mainstream, yeah. isn't it? It is. But again, it's it's a bit scary how a handful of leading companies are, are showing the way. They're modeling the way. And we hear phenomenal stories about GE. And I've written, written up a few articles, including GE as a case, where they're using artificial intelligence, say, in turbine design for to, to to design a blade and then do many, many iterations of that design, putting it through Mm -hmm. the equivalent of supercomputers. In the old days, it would have taken a human being about two days to do all the iterations on that blade using using supercomputers. Today, they do a million iterations of that blade and do it in 15 minutes. And they claim, uh, it's a claim, that, that, that GE claims they've reduced development time in turbine design and development by 50%. Wow. Okay. Now, okay, you can say, well, that's turbines and you can see engineering and whatever. Well, how about Nestle? Nestle's adopted and in, in, in Switzerland has adopted for the food industry, for the beverage industry. They've gone into AI big time and had started about five or six years ago. They were a really bleeding edge adopter because that is a long time ago. Yeah. And, and they claim, the CTO gave a talk recently in Spain that he claimed that they had increased the pace, i.e. cut down the cycle time by 60% in product development. So the results from big leading companies, not the vendors, the vendors claim all kinds of things, but the, no, I'm yeah, talking yeah. users now, like user firms like Unilever in the UK and, and, and GE in the US and, and Siemens in Germany and BASF in Germany, chemical companies, incredible improvements. Amazing. But yes, there is a, there is a cost and, and there is a bit of a business case to be, to be built. Some people say we haven't built the business case yet for, for going to AI. And of course, there's a skeptical management to convince because a lot yeah. of managers, it's a new thing and they are fearful and they don't know where it's leading, but it has incredible impacts for the handful yeah. of companies. Trouble is, Paul, I can put the handful of companies on two hands. And like once you get past the Nestle and the Unilever and the GE and the Procter and Gamble and a few others like that, there's not a lot of others that are up there doing great things. So it's time for the rest of us to get on board and get on board fast because the window of opportunity or the window of adoption, the adoption period is, is pretty tight. We've got some curves that show that by 2029, I believe, it'll be at its peak in new product development. AI will be wow. on the okay. adoption curve where there's sort of a, a normal shape curve. The peak will be about 2029. And other people are predicting that by 2029, we will have what is called artificial general intelligence, where it will actually be superior to humans. Wow. And that is, a, this is yeah. real science yeah. fiction, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I saw that in a movie once. It was called <laughs> the year 2001, the space odyssey. <laughs> Yeah, right. The computer, the computer took over the spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard to believe well, that you, was made in 1968. How old were you then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Bob, if we take kind of what you're talking about, and we if we break up the MPD process into front end, middle, and back sure. end, let's kind of dive in a little bit. If you think about right. the front end, and I know because I know you've been giving a lot of thought. You've been writing some some things about this. I've been following what you've been writing, but but share your thoughts about the front end and how AI could be used there. Well, AI sort of has, there's a continuum of roles for AI between originator, which is the creative and inventive side of AI, 
like coming up with new product ideas is obviously mm-hmm. a creative side. And then there's the facilitator side where AI is able to handle massive amounts of information and do a lot of the calculations that you and I would do, but it does it much faster and better and cheaper. So at the front end, obviously, there's a huge role for, for the creative side. Coming up with new product ideas, identifying from, from online searches. For example, one company I've been communicating with in Boston, a company called Applied Marketing Science, they, they work with a snowplow manufacturer and they did an online assessment of all the blogs, all the, all the comments people make on blogs and forums. Apparently people that own snowplows have forums and, and all the comments, criticisms, and they identified 20,000 comments about snowplows, winter snowplows. Unbelievable. People write this stuff (laughs) and they reduce it. They reduce it using AI and natural language processing down to 117 significant needs. Wow. Many of them unmet, many of them the manufacturer did not know of. And then they, they did more clustering and relative importance and came up with the most important one was loss of visibility when you turn a corner. In other words, when mm. the vehicle goes around the corner at right angles, you cannot, it blocks the headlights and you cannot see what you're driving into, which could be a person or a car yeah. that's parked around the corner. So, hey, right. guys, we didn't know, and new product, big success, et cetera. Well, hello. And they're able to do this in immense speed, uh, analyzing 20,000 comments. It's incredible. So that's the, right. that's sort of the creative aspect, coming up with concepts. And Nestle has a concept generator that does much the same in food and beverage. So, so there is a creative aspect at the yeah, beginning, yeah, coming up yeah. with ideas, exploring comments, exploring customer feedback to your own web page. If, if yeah. there's a complaint section, exploring all these complaints, yeah. Amazon is doing that and to come up with new yeah. product ideas because it identifies gaps and missing areas and things we're missing. So yeah, that's a very, very creative aspect. And it's, 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 yeah. it's enormous, the potential. I mean, I've tried yeah. it and it's, I'm just blown away yeah. about how yeah. creative it can be. And, and, and you're, this is an experiment for everybody to do. Go home tonight and log on to chat GPT or Bard or one of those and put in the right prompts. You can use voice to dictate, say, I work for a pump company and we are making variable speed pumps. And one of the applications we're looking at is apartment buildings where you have to pump water up to the 15th floor because the pressure is too low. Now, the maintenance department in these apartment buildings isn't very sophisticated, certainly not like a chemical plant. So they're going to have problems with this variable speed pump because it is complicated. Now, what are some of the suggestions? What are some of the problems these guys might have with it? And what are some of the new product ideas? I've actually put that in and got better ideas than we've thought of <laughs> for a pump wow company. things like that it. but you got to give yeah. good prompts you got to you do spend a bit of yeah. time yeah you can't just say that's give right. me some ideas for pumps no, no that's yeah that's, you yeah. got to give it some framing yeah yeah, yeah right. what about the middle bob if you think about the actual physical development of the product with well, the physical development there? yeah this this is where a lot of the more technically oriented firms have made huge headway the ge example of the turbine blade a European example is, is Renault, the French company using, I believe it's Siemens software. Siemens is, is, is very, is very far ahead. I think Siemens is the largest manufacturer of physical products in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Be- they, 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 they make available software in this whole area of AI that they sell or lease to their clients. And Renault was a client. So they, to design a new kind of transmission called an automated manual transmission. I guess for the enthusiast who wants to be able to have a automatic transmission, but at the same time shift gears when, when he or she feels like it. 
And, and the whole thing was done on AI. I mean, they literally simulated the transmission, put it through all its iterations and motions and performance characteristics and what have you, iterated its design many, many times, far more than the designers could under normal conditions, yeah. and came right. up with an optimal design and, right. and, and, and much faster speed. They claim they cut the time by almost half of designing yeah. the transmission. Okay, so Incredible. these kinds of things. And it's not just for engineer-type products. It's also for material-type products, too, which is a little different than engineering design. BASF is using a software product that they've created, obviously, with a vendor called Emollient Creator, or words to that effect. Oh, Emollient Maestro, they call it, mm. which helps, which discovers new chemicals that are applicable to one of their major market segments, namely the skin care and cosmetic creams and things like that, uh, to replace traditional emollients that people are trying to get rid of and replace them with more environmentally friendly, etc. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this, this machine, this robot, is able to say, well, we look at the requirements for this emollient. We look at what they're now using. They're using a mineral oil. We look at its performance characteristics, and we've looked at thousands of experiments that have been done in BAS labs over the years, and we look at all the molecules that are possible, and here's the six we recommend. Wow. And so then the, the, the skincare company takes the six, plays with them in their, own, in their own product, and picks the one that seems to work the best. Incredible. Yeah. And there, of course, the drug industry has been doing the pharma industry has been doing that too for some time. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, yeah. it's possible in the material field too. Great examples. And then, then we think about the, the one that I think people forget so quickly when you think about launch, right? Production yes, startup, yes. post-launch. What about there? Well, the production startup, I mean, the production people seem to have latched on to artificial intelligence, perhaps more than we in product development. The business case is pretty strong if you can optimize production improve source of supply management, et cetera, which AI will do, you've got a very strong financial business case for moving forward. So they've, they've been able to implement agile development. There's a very excellent article written by a guy called Mar, M-A-R-R, in Forbes magazine. If you Google it, uh, he gives a good summary of some of the real good applications in manufacturing. So I'm not going to try to compete with, with that yeah. article. And manufacturing is not my forte, but obviously there are big bonuses there. The other thing for for production startup is one of the biggest problems we often talk about, and it's a horrible phrase, is transfer to the plant. When we move it from sort of the engineering or the R and D department into the plant, and everything yeah. goes, it's more, it's not transfer at all. It's thrown over the wall. And, yeah, and, right. And, exactly. and, and, it, and, and it, literally, the ball is yeah. dropped, and yeah. because yeah. things go wrong. So one of the things that AI does is is it makes sure that the product is right before it goes to the plant. Because the worst situation is to get it to the plant and then find you got to make a lot of changes. And the worst time to be making changes to a product's design or formulation is once you're in production, right? Then you got recalls. It's a mess. Okay. So one of the things AI does is, is, is validate the product very well. Example, digital twins. If I've got a new piece of uh, construction equipment and I build a prototype and I put it out in the field, uh, how do I do field trials? Well, hopefully there's an engineer out there in the field from the company watching the construction crew misuse the product and he finds or she finds out all the things that's wrong with it need to be fixed, right? The typical field trial. Sometimes the engineer from the company isn't even there. 
they sort of phone up or show up after the trials and say, well, how did it go? And they get a lot of verbal comments and many of them are not recorded very well. Think of a digital twin. A digital twin is basically something that's back on that engineer's laptop in his or her lab. And, and he or she is watching that field trial unit in the field going through its, its performance, looking yeah. at all the elements, all the sensors in the machine to make sure it's working well and what's not working, et cetera. Much, much better data collection, instant data collection, much more thorough field trials. Automobiles are being done that way. Autonomous driving cars are being done that way. So digital twins are a very powerful concept as you approach production startup to get the product right first time so you're not going into production with a half-assed product. So that's a very powerful concept. The other thing, of course, is marketing. Okay. Yeah. Dig- artificial intelligence, Paul, has just overtaken marketing. I mean, yes, yeah. writing advertising Absolutely. copy and, and, and websites, web pages, and things like this. Wonderful. The other thing that it's taken over is things like not uh, pricing, dynamic pricing. Some of you may be familiar with Uber and how they do their pricing, annoying at times. The price goes up when the demand goes up. That's AI-based. Yeah, very. Okay. Or, or, or targeting the right customers or Salesforce management and customer relations management. There's a product out called Salesforce that does everything in terms of it even identifies the likely prospects, prospect clients, and plans the sales call plan. So the sales force would be calling on the right people out there. So a, a lot of, 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 of elements of the marketing mix are now being done or at least being assisted by AI to great, great positive impact. So there's a huge number of applications there. Just I just mentioned a few of them, obviously, That's advertising, pricing, and, and sales force management. Yeah, thanks for sharing all of that. It's great. Your experiences are just amazing to listen to. So I really well, appreciate you, you, you going through well, that. Well, it's a very you know, it's, it's a very exciting area. And, and you is. get excited about it and so do I. It really is absolutely a yeah. new industrial revolution here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's gonna be fun to fun to participate in it as it goes. Well, Bob, what are your if you think about yourself, I know you're still very active doing seminars and stuff, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but what are your goals for the next few years? Well, I'm thinking it. I've officially retired from the university, the Canadian university in, in near Toronto, McMaster University, and and I'm a ISBM research fellow right. at the Penn State, and I'm active there. We're more working with companies than with students because Penn State has a strong outreach program to corporations, and I am still doing a lot of seminars. I'm doing a little Good. bit less as I get older. Don't have to work quite as hard to make the make the, the cash and pay the bills, as it were, uh-huh. <laughs> like many of us. Uh, I happen to be in Florida at the moment, enjoying life down here, but still writing. I mean, before we got on this call this morning, I was busily writing an article for with a, the editors in the UK, and I'm working with him right now, and uh, hopefully getting out something fairly quickly. My mission at the moment and it's not really a money-making mission like in the past, consulting and seminars. It's it's more to bring about this, getting companies into this artificial intelligence revolution. Yeah. I, I was doing a bit of reading in history, business history, and the various revolutions that we've seen, there's been three. The first one was the Industrial Revolution that started in the UK about 1760. It took about 85 years to be fully adopted the adoption curve. It looks like a normal mm-hmm. curve where the early guys are the 
innovators and the early adopters, but it took a long time to be adopted. That changed a lot of life. That if, if you were in the spinning wheel business, you were out of luck. It yeah. Basically, yeah. it was a steam, it was right. a steam engine plus steam. a lot of mechani- mechanization of a lot in a lot of industries was part yeah. of the industrial revolution. And then we had the electrification era, which started about 1880. With and then we we call people like Edison and others like that, the light bulb and the electric motor and Tesla and, and famous names who brought huge changes in in first in America it seems and then more so and then and then the rest of the world and changed everything mostly for the better, and then we had the information age which started approximately and these are approximate numbers about 1970, yeah. and sort of moved through to about 2000 2005. The interesting thing I saw in, as I watched each of these, and I plotted them just for the heck of it, every revolution is shorter and shorter. The Industrial Revolution took about 85 years. The electrification took about 30 years or 40 years. Mm-hmm. The information one took 28 years. Yeah. And then you move to today, and some people say artificial intelligence, it, the inflection point on the curve was really about a year, year and a half ago, 2020, yeah. early 2022. How yeah. long is it going to take? And, and our prediction is 15 years. Yeah. And the that's why I said that by, you know, the pace is the, the intensity and the rate of adoption is just intense. And that's why we're sort of saying by, before the end of this century, it's going to be at its peak. So time flies awfully quickly. You better get set and get moving now. And that's sort of my mission. I'm sort of carrying that message to companies. And even like I'm visiting a company in a, in, in a week or so in, in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, sorry, near Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and they've asked me to talk about StageGate. And he says, oh, by the way, talk about artificial intelligence because <laughs> we're just getting into that. And yeah. be glad to because the yeah, president sure. of the company is going to be in the audience. He needs to hear this. Because yeah, he says we don't yeah. have a plan, so yeah. that's sort of my my current mission, Paul. Getting getting companies on board. It's kind of fun, but when you look when you look back on this, let's say five five eight nine, whatever it is, years from now, and you're gonna you're gonna say, yeah, I participated in that, and you think of all the management, the the the, the people who drove different management theories and and and, and methodologies and, and ways of work. Back in the Industrial Revolution, that's all they knew, right? You'll that's have right. gone through multiple generations where the, 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 the lean, the agile, the, the, the artificial intelligence, you know, the information age, then the AI, the artificial intelligence age. So that'll be fun. So I, I really glad it, it, it you're uh, pushing it. By yeah. the way, there's an excellent book out my daughter gave me. She's in business. She's a marketing director of a well-known consumer goods company. And she gave me a book. And she says, you need to read this book. It's written by the editor of the New York Times for Technology, the technology editor in the New York Times. It's called Future Proof. Mm -hmm. And it basically is some real words of caution and and thought-provoking words about the impact on our lives. He's not getting into some of the evil stuff of artificial intelligence, like people making fake copies and deep fakes and things like that. He's more getting into what has happened in previous revolutions and what did that do to the workforce and to you Mm -hmm. and me. Uh, Something like 76%, I may have these numbers a little bit off, 76% of Americans believe that AI will cause a lot of people to lose their jobs, but only 23% think it's their own job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. <There laughs> it's always go. the other guy that's going to be affected. <laughs> now, you, you, you ought to be very excited about artificial intelligence, but also read a sobering assessment from a guy that's been in it 
for the last yeah. six or seven years as the editor of technology in the New York Times. Good book, Future Proof. Yeah. Nine Great. rules for dealing with artificial or something like that. Wonderful. So so that's exciting too. Very interesting. And and I think his conclusion is yes, there's gonna be big changes. But you can future-proof yourself. You, you can make yourself right. in good shape. There, there's going to be lots of jobs created as well as, obviously, jobs lost, as there has been in every revolution, every technological yeah. revolution. But the other thing I'm excited about is, and this is a sort of a little bit of selfishness, is, is I love the way artificial intelligence is going to improve the way StageGate works. And mm. probably improve, and probably improve your product too, Accolade, yeah. uh, yeah. as it gets integrated yeah. in, because there are so many places in a StageGate process or in a new product management system such Absolutely. as Accolade from Sophion that uh, can be improved. I mean, we talked about yeah. some of them. One thing I haven't talked about, and I'm working on this right now with somebody who's a mathematical wizard: predictive analytics. Do mm. we really need gatekeepers anymore? Maybe we can mm. let AI make the go-kill decisions on projects. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm wow. kidding, of course. Yeah. However, however, having said that, there is an article that came out, and I, I read it, about a company in Hong Kong, a venture capital company, who was literally saved and have made lots of money because they put a new investor on the board of investors. The board of investors is like a gate meeting. They make a decision on whether they're going to make an investment in a startup company or a venture company. The new investor, investor uh, board member, was an AI robot called Vital, V-I-T-A-L. Mm, and, wow. and, and at first, the robot was making poorer decisions than the other board members. Mm-hmm. But now he or she, whatever the robot uh, sex is, him or her, is making better decisions. Now, they're not letting it make the decision entirely. There's still yeah. other members on the board that have to confirm. But think of that possibility for artificial yeah. intelligence, making yeah. much sharper decisions than we now make. So yeah. it gets us into the issue of portfolio management, making the right go-kill decisions, saying yes, when to say yes, when to say no, et cetera. Wow, what yeah. an impact. Yeah. Well, so I, I know, yeah, as a gatekeeper – if I could have an assistant <laughs> like this AI being my assistant to, to give me recommendations, information, why you should kill this. Well, why should I kill this? Right. And explaining yeah, yeah, why yeah. it's almost invaluable, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe, if- maybe you envision yourself as the pilot and the AI being the co-pilot, but maybe it's going to change. <laughs> right. Maybe you'll be yeah. the co-pilot. It'll be the pilot. And you'll sit there and say, well, you to turn to the left a little bit here. It's just like, think, think, just like thinking about yeah. autonomous vehicles. Right yeah. now, with autonomous vehicles, the truck driver, and the, the experimental ones, the truck driver is still in control, still got his yeah. hands on the steering wheel, et cetera. Right. But in right. a few years, probably – He'll be sitting in the passenger seat or she'll be sitting in the passenger seat and the AI will be driving the truck. So who knows? It's going to go awful fast. It's going to go awful fast. We know that. It is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, exciting times. Very exciting times. It is. It is. Well, Bob, this has been a fascinating discussion. I I can't thank you enough for stopping in and having a chat with us. As you reflect on our conversation and think back things we talked about. Did we miss anything? Is there something top of mind? You said, oh, Paul, we should ask. We should have talked about this, sir. Did we cover some pretty good ground? Well, Paul, you asked uh, really good questions. I appreciate that. And I think we you're an experienced guy in this field. So the questions that I, I love ask, this field. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, a, you're an evangelist in this area. And uh, I think we have covered everything. Can you think of something we haven't? I'll throw it back to you. 
Not at the moment, not at the moment. So I have to thank Um, you for sharing all of your experience, knowledge, wisdom, thoughts. It was really fun conversation. Excellent. Good, good. Glad to be here. Good luck and uh, farewell. (laughs) That's an old Scandinavian expression. It's it's interesting. In all the other languages, we say, see you again, like au revoir, wiedersehen, arrivederci. The the Scandinavians used to say, fevel. Farewell. <laughs> do well, yeah. Paul, and all you people out there, do well. There you go. I guess as they, as they wave goodbye to the Viking ships. Okay. Yeah, great. We'll see you at your seminars, Bob. I plan to attend them and we'll see okay, you there great. for sure. Glad to hear that. I wish everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed that. Great discussion. And there's so many ways to follow what, what Bob's doing. Reach out to him and keep yeah. keep tabs on him. www.bobcooper.com all one word, dot C-A. C-A's for Canada. And okay, we'll Bob put Cooper that in the show C-A. notes. Yeah, okay, we'll put thank that you. definitely okay. in the show notes. Somebody driving and they can't write it down, check the show notes. Okay, yeah. great. Great. Okay, Bob, you take care. Our listeners, thank you for joining. Hope you had fun with that like I did. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.